Hello, and welcome to An Unknown Adventure, podcast number 47. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and today's interview is with Javina Huang, also known as the Wandering Wasp, because she traveled through 25 countries in 27 months alone on a scooter. At one point in the interview, Javina talks about one of the many things her journeys taught her which is not to sweat the small stuff, not her exact words, but definitely her meaning. She touches on the scooter breakdowns and some hard times, but always remains upbeat and positive. And it was a really good reminder for me because I've had nonstop van issues in the four months that I've been living on the road. And each issue has completely derailed me from having no power or running water for two months to a sliding van door that is stuck closed, to being completely screwed by Nissan service in Los Angeles. But Javina reminded me months after this interview was recorded that those issues are to be expected, dealt with, and then I need to move forward, not get mired in the injustice and negativity of it all, which is a challenge, a constant challenge, but a good reminder. In this interview, You'll also hear Javina talk about her parents who don't want to control her and they want her to make her own life decisions. This blew me away as my family is the opposite, still trying to control everything I do and definitely not supportive. So it's really liberating to see how much someone can grow at such a young age when they're being nurtured in this way. I have a quick update before we get to the interview. This is the last interview that I have in the can, and I will be taking an actual hiatus while I work on a class that I want to offer. After I had a traumatic family visit, which did derail me for six weeks, I am back to writing daily and exercising, which feels absolutely amazing. If you want to keep following my full-time van life journey, please go to my Instagram at myunknownadventure. After I've created a routine with the class and my daily writing, I'm planning to launch season two of this podcast, which will solely be about my van life journey, answering questions and vlogging and telling you guys what's going on and sharing my experiences along the way. I am currently in Arizona. I've been here for a few weeks. I'm going to be here for a few more weeks. And then I'm going to do more fast travel. And the reason is because I want to get everything in before I move to Portugal. And that's happening in the summer. So there's a lot I want to see. There's a lot I want to do. And I'm really excited about moving. Now it's time to hear Javina's amazing journey. So welcome to The Wandering Wasp. Today we're here with Javina Huang, who is an avid traveler. She rode a scooter solo for 44,000 kilometers across 25 countries from Singapore to the Czech Republic. After an epiphany resulting from a friend's sudden passing, Miss Javina Huang decided to fulfill her teenage dream of traveling. As a solo female traveler, she shared many intimate experiences with the people that she met, which she documented via her 
Social Media, The Wandering Wasp. Through the power of storytelling, Javina hopes to foster cross-border understanding and tolerance and to inspire others to discover their potential. So it's good to have you here. What led you on your adventure or to your adventure, which was touched on a little bit in your biography, but in your own words. Okay, it all started off uh, with a trip to Vietnam with my classmates. It was a very interesting experience because I got to get out there and interact with uh, people, the locals, especially the Hmong tribal girls. And that kind of ignite curiosity about the rest of the world. Because Singapore being a very small country in Southeast Asia, it's a very comfortable place. So all my life I've been living in a comfort bubble. And that trip actually made me realize that there's so much more out there. And these uh, Mongols, they have totally different life uh, path ahead for me and different expectation of life. And that actually made me want to travel more. And I actually thought about going hobo for a few years after my graduation. But I didn't really do that because, you know, I was just going to motion everybody else is doing after, after graduation, get a job, work. And then I did my part-time studies. But what came out from the trip was it started my motorcycling journey. So when I was in Vietnam, I saw many scooters uh, zipping around the cities. And I thought trying to explore Vietnam on a scooter, having your mode of transport can be quite uh, liberating. So when I came back to Singapore, I got my motorcycle license. And then when I was on my 20th birthday, I bought myself a scooter. So actually, that was one of the most expensive thing I ever bought for myself. And through motorcycling, I got to know many other like-minded people, people who really love riding around. Yes, they ride it for racing some they like to travel with it and I got to know a lot of people from different backgrounds with with different uh, dreams and one friend his name is uh, Lawrence so he is a very intrepid rider who likes to travel on a motorcycle he has ridden from Singapore to Thailand and then he also likes to ride motor biking so sometimes we will ride to Malaysia and explore the rainforest, the wilderness, and sometimes we will do motocross and enduros. And he was actually planning to ride to the border of China back in 2000 uh, mm-hmm. with another good friend of mine. And then just a few weeks before he was about to set off, he unfortunately passed in an accident. But the accident did not involve a motorcycle. It was mm. actually while he was driving a van. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. I'm sorry. That's awful. Yeah. He's passing out while I would say, yes, it's a loss, but it takes a loss to realize what you truly have. Like, I remember, I know that, okay, I'm, I'm alive now. I have my youth. I have endless possibilities ahead. There's a lot of things that I can do. So traveling has been something that I want to do like a few years ago, but I didn't really have the guts or means to do, to do it. So I decided, hey, I'm not going to wait. Uh, anymore I'm going to give myself a, a deadline and just yeah set off so I set off in 2015 May 16 so from the foot of my apartment block yeah and then actually it was planned to be like a eight to nine months journey mm. but it turned out to be 27 months so I rode through 25 countries starting from uh, Singapore then went through Malaysia Thailand Myanmar Northeast India, Nepal, India, Pakistan, Iran, Armenia, Georgia, Turkey, Bulgaria, Macedonia. Okay, the entire Balkans. I took a ferry from Albania to Italy, went out north, 
Liechtenstein, Switzerland, Germany, Austria, and then Czech Republic. My scooter has been Czech Republic since 2017. So actually, I want to resume my journey, but because of the pandemic, it's a bit uh, difficult to be, do- to be doing it now. So I hope, you know, as soon as the borders opens up and when there are less restrictions, I can resume the journey. Wow. So you left your scooter there? Uh, yes. Oh, and with a friend? Yeah, with a friend. That's a lot of traveling. Where did you stay? My combination range from wild camping on the beach, in a park, to hotel, to hostels, to locals' home. And did you have a sleeping bag and a tent with you? Uh, yes, I carry a tent with me, a sleeping bag, a mattress, and even my petrol stove. So I can cook well on the move. Wow, that's great. And those fit on the back of the scooter? Yep, it was everything. So I carried my home with me for two years. Wow. And did you love it? Did you have fun? What were the, some of the highlights? There's a lot of highlights. <laughs> it's two years, 25 countries. So I'm not sure how I can just point out one. I would say that it is uh, very liberating because you are in control of your own movement. You are not subjected to bus or train schedule. You can start and stop whenever, wherever you want. And yeah, you can make your own route. You can go anywhere you want. So it is really very liberating. And how, how about safety? Safety, of course. Okay, first of all, I just think, I think that most people in the world are good. I've encountered more good experiences than the bad ones. I can count it with my fingers. The interaction that I have with people, it is just really amazing. I've been invited to so many homes and get to stay with families, in, especially in Asia. But I think when it comes to safety, you have to be aware of a situation. So try not to get into a situation where you'll be more susceptible to danger. Okay, and one of the ways is I always have a local contact. And usually the locals are able to give me very sound advice. Yeah, that's a good idea. And how do you make the local contacts? Social media, or even sometimes it can be me approaching locals to just ask for directions. So that is how I make a contact. So, or sometimes I just go into a shopping uh, a grocery store and then a family just struck out a conversation with me. Because I'm a woman, so I will try to look out for other women and families. So that is, uh, I think, a safer contact than like probably a, a lone man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you have to learn how to read people, get, get their intention. I, I think because for me, traveling is also getting to know people. And if I were to have a knee-jerk reaction to every stranger that come and talk to me, it would be a very isolating experience for those two years of travel. So yeah, I learned to read people, read their body languages, ask them questions and get a gist of intention before deciding if I can trust them or not. And I have to ask you where the wandering wasp comes from. Wandering comes from the word of wandering around. And then wasp actually comes from the scooter that I was riding. So the scooter is actually a Vespa scooter. The Italian-made scooter that has been used throughout the world. And Vespa actually means uh, wasp in Italian. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yep. It is named after wasp because of the shape of the body, Mm. of the scooter body and the sound it makes. It goes on buzz. That's why it's called a wasp. Oh, cool. Interesting. And were you ever scared riding there were a few treacherous environments that, that I had ridden in. Like, for example, in India, across the Himalayas, there was this highway called the Manali Le Highway. The average elevation is around 4,000 meters high. So 
you can run risk of uh, getting acute mountain sickness if you are not careful or if you travel too quickly or if you climb too fast. So yeah, that was one. And then also another one was uh, crossing this region called Balochistan. So Balochistan is a state in Pakistan. At that time, I was in Pakistan for four and a half months. I think people are the are very uh, hospitable. It's one of the most hospitable people that I've met. But when it comes to leaving the country to Iran, I have to cross through this region called Balochistan. In Balochistan, there is a highway that connects uh, the capital to the border of Iran, which is called the Quetta Taftan Highway. So this highway is uh, pretty notorious uh, because in the past, many years ago, there were kidnapping of uh, foreigners and suicide bombing. But that's the only route uh, because I'm not flying. So I had to take a calculated risk by doing my research. So I spoke to people who was there recently. I asked them like, how's the situation there uh, before deciding to, to cross and uh, use this highway. So I was escorted by police two days until I get to the Iranian border. Nothing happened, but there was a few interesting exchange with my police escorts. I wish that a region will be safer in future and foreigners will be able to explore that place independently. But at that time, I wasn't able to. But I heard there are travelers going to that region now. Yeah. Wow. Would, did you have to have the police escort or did, yes. did they insist? Yes, they insist. If you are sticking to the main road, you have to cross some checkpoints. So the checkpoints, once they see that you are a foreigner, uh, they will assign an escort to accompany you until the next checkpoint. So I was passed like a baton from one, uh, one checkpoint to another. Yep. Interesting. Wow. And it took you two days to get through? Yeah, around two days. And in Iran, the escort continues as well. So the, for in Iran, the escort continues for another two more days until I'm finally free and can travel on my own. Wow. Yeah, and also because that, that route is also a very notorious smuggling route. I, I don't think it is like anything bad. It's just that there's a lot of smuggling activities going on. Wow, that's interesting. Scary. Did you, did you, do you have favorite places of everywhere you've been? Yeah, there are quite a few places that make a remarkable impression. I think there's one place called Nongriad, which is in uh, northeast India. So it is a part of India that is pretty far away from the administrator cent- administrative center, but it's very pristine and untouched. So there is one place uh, called Cherapunji, which is known as rainiest place on earth. So it records a very high amount of rainfall. And I was very fortunate during my time there it didn't rain for two days. Wow. And before after that, it was raining. So I took the time to also hike to a place called Nongriat. So in Nongriat, they have no road access. And the people in this region, they are experts of the routes. So they are able to use tree roots to build bridges. And the bridges are live. So they grow as they as time passes. Wow. Yeah. So you can check out living root bridges. Yeah, it's one of the finest pieces of bioengineering. But of course, this bridge takes a long time to build. It can take up to 50 over years for it to be functional. So they'll plant the trees on both on the flanks of the river. And they will use a bamboo scaffolds uh, to connect the two trees on the flanks. And they'll use the scaffolds to support the roots to grow towards each other. Slowly over time, when the roots from the two trees actually meet, they will fuse. So it grows stronger with time. It can support many people at a time. So that was a really good example of how uh, human and nature live in harmony. But of course, I would say that the life there is not that easy because there's no road access. Things have to be carried 
up and down the valley. Yeah, but it was a place that I see that people really expect the environment because they know that the environment provides for them. And I think city folks usually, sometimes we take this for granted. Yeah. Like, just simply with the rubbish that we throw. Yeah. And produce. Yeah. For them, you know, I remember I was uh, buying a packet of Lay's chip over there. So, they do sell these uh, snacks to cater to, to tourists. And then as I was throwing the packaging into the rubbish, and the next morning, the owner of the homestay came over and was clearing the rubbish. And he was saying, I really don't like this, clearing the rubbish. Our people here, they do not produce rubbish because whatever we eat is from Malaysia. We don't have packagings. For tourism's sake, we have to provide all these uh, snacks for them. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then you're feeling guilty. <laughs> yeah. And they have to burn the rubbish behind in the backyard. Oh. Yeah. It's not like there's a refuge systems to clear the rubbish because you have to climb all the way up. So the only way is to burn the rubbish. And that's not good. That's toxic. Mm-hmm. But is it all, all in the city? This is all hidden away. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. And, and we have all these, uh, this recycling myth of Americans especially think that we can recycle everything like all the plastic is recyclable and it's not it was dumped in a lot of countries in Asia that's what I've heard yep mm-hmm. yep sent to China mm, sent really to Malaysia mm-hmm. yeah sent to Malaysia it's really bad yeah and I'm guilty I'm guilty of packaging it's just ah <laughs> I, I try not to I, I did a couple years of no plastic and it was really hard it mm. was really challenging yeah, it is so prevalent in, in our society. Oh, yeah. But it's doable. Like, we don't have to use that kind of stuff. It's extra effort, but we don't have yeah. to. Yeah. So what have your all your challenges been or some of your challenges? There have been a lot of challenges even before setting off. Uh, because when it comes to overlanding your vehicles, rules and regulations are constantly changing. And sometimes there can be changes just before leaving and you have to adapt. Yeah, you have to be very flexible when it comes to doing such a long overlanding trip. So like, I remember before setting out on my journey, I was make, asked to make a deposit of around okay, US dollar, around $7,000 for my scooter. Wow. Um, it's, it's for this document that allows me to enter and exit certain countries and to ensure that it's a, a deposit to ensure that I do not sell my vehicle in this country. And before, long time ago... Like a few years ago, it was based on the vehicle value. And then before I set off, the rules have changed. So I end up having to deposit a lot of money for a small scooter. Singapore is not a very cheap place to be owning a scooter. Yeah, so that was a challenge. And then also along the way, there were other challenges too, but I'm just not faced by them anymore because it, it happened so many times. I learned to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, having scooter breakdown. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. that happen? Yeah, of course. When people ask me, did I have a I say, of course. If you ride long enough, there's bound to be wear and tear. Yeah. It's definitely going to happen. You have to accept it as a reality. Yeah. yeah. And did you have trouble getting it fixed in, in different areas? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, sometimes I try to fix myself. If I can't fix it, fix, fix it myself, I would approach the mechanics. Uh, yeah, all these uh, problems are just temporary. So um, no sweats about that. Right. Oh, yeah, and also getting sick, yeah, having toe infection and having gastric oh. issue. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. And what did you do? Just go to the hospital or doctor. Yeah. And are those times that you just stayed in a hotel instead of dealing with camping? Yeah. Or- yeah. So just probably spend a little bit more to stay in a hotel to have some good rest. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, I just, I think it's so funny because people that don't have to deal with stuff like that or really anything, then the small things in life become a problem. So, oh, I tore a hole in my dress or I got a stain on my shirt or whatever it is. I broke a fingernail. That's my favorite. And they just like there. My whole day was ruined because I broke my fingernail and I just, it's hard for me. I'm not traveling yet. I'm, I'm on my way, but it's hard for me to relate to the big drama of little things. But I know that it's just because those people don't have like other main actual real dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you are living out there on the extreme edge of life, you learn not to sweat over small stuff. Yeah, exactly. Broken yeah. news, so, so be it. Okay, just trim everything down. Yeah. Yeah. And then does it, so how has it affected you coming back? Are you, so you're back in Singapore now. Yep. And what has changed for you since your travels? Has, have you become like more minimal? Yeah. What, what has changed? I guess a lot has changed when you're out there on the road. You're going to see endless possibilities out there. And when you come back to, you feel that sometimes it can feel very stifling. Yeah. So when I was out there, I can be myself. I, I, I don't really have to fall into a certain expectations or, or play a particular role. And every time I'll be meeting new people, I don't have to hold accountable for them or they don't have to be accountable. I can wear the same shirt for three days. I can go for days without shower because I was wild camping. Yeah, I think it, it, I, I didn't care about that. When you come back to, to a place, your home, you have to fit into the roles. Again, like the role of a daughter, your role of being a sister, auntie. You have to fit into those roles again. How does your family, how did they respond? As in respond before leaving or... To uh, your leaving, like to the plan. Initially, I didn't. I, I think they didn't take me seriously when I told them about my plans to travel on a scooter. But then I was working a few jobs to save up the money, to, so they take me seriously. Right now, it's like, okay. She's uh, sometimes she's like out to work every day, sixteen hours in a day. So she's up to something. So she's they saw my commitment to making the trip happen. And then the day when I tender my resignation, I told them, "Hey, mom, I just resigned from my job." And then that's when she took me seriously. Yeah. And it wasn't really like a overnight decision to do this trip. So I prepared them for it by sharing with them about my thoughts and the people I met. So when I was in Singapore, I've also met other travelers who were passing by Singapore during their overlanding journey. So whenever I meet them, after meeting them, I would go back home and tell my mom, hey, today I met this uh, traveler. They have they started traveling from Australia. They're going to Europe. Or this uh, traveler, they are on a motorcycle from Switzerland, going around the world. So I will share with them uh, about my interactions with these people. So just to give them the idea that, hey, what I'm doing is not something, I'm not going on a suicidal mission. People have already done, done this, they're doing it, and they're fine. So that is one way to assuage them. And were they supportive when you left? I wouldn't say supportive or not supportive, but I'm very fortunate that my parents allow me to make my own decisions for my life. They don't want to control where I want to go, my, my life path. Of course, they'll be worried, but they also want me to be happy and to be at peace with the decisions that I make for myself. So I wouldn't say it'll be like supportive or not supportive, but they just let me be, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, that's amazing. It's rare. It's not easy. When I first called back home after leaving, my mom cried on the phone. Mm. and I, I didn't dare to call her back until I think two months later 
<laughs> yeah. She was like, I can't bear to hear her cry. Still, I was texting her. Then when I finally got to India, I was like, then I finally called home. And I think she has like, a daughter is going away for a journey. But I try as much as possible to call back home. And I also have this GPS tracker on me so she can see my life's location. Uh, yeah. So whenever I stop at a place for a night, I would message my parents, my family, group chat. Uh, yeah, so I try to keep them as uh, updated as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that helped. And then since you've been back, how did they respond? Of course, they're relieved. <laughs> To be able to see their daughter and have her within reach easily, their relief. It is also a way for me to reconnect with my family members because I've not seen them for two years. Because during the journey, I did not come back home at all. But still, I started to see home differently after coming back. Because I realized that home is actually not a place. It's not a geographical. It's more like a state of mind to be accepted and to be able to be who you are but sometimes coming back to my hometown sometimes I feel that you have to be somebody else so it is a very weird feeling coming back home Mm. I like that definition of home because then if you go with that definition then your home is where you are now your hometown isn't your home Mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't have to be your hometown yeah but especially if you can't be like you know who you are or your true Mm -hmm. self or yeah, that's an interesting, I like that. That's a good definition. And then what are your future plans? My future plans? Uh, my scooter is still in Czech Republic. I'm not sure if I'll be using the same scooter. I hope that it can start <laughs> because it's been parked there for what? how many years? Three years plus. I hope I can start it. If not, probably I have to get a new motorcycle or scooter. Yeah, I have plans to resume the trip. I've not been to the Scandinavia, the western part of Europe. Mm-hmm. I'm also eyeing on Africa and Latin America mm-hmm. and, of course, North America. Uh, mm-hmm. So I plan to try to, if possible, visit every continent. Well, I'm not sure about Antarctica, but yeah. Yeah, maybe a different way. So how have you dealt with the not traveling for the past three years? I would say it's not easy. Sometimes I would, right now, I'm trying to revive my social medias by making videos. So that is, uh, in a way, for me to relieve the journey once again through all my past photos and videos. And sometimes I like to use Google Map to travel. <laughs> and we just put that yellow man on the street view and just mm-hmm. see what's around there. And yeah, stay in touch uh, with people, that, with the friends that uh, you have made. Yeah. I've made during the trip. Yeah. So that's one way of coping. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And then mm-hmm. do you have plans? Do you know exactly when you're going to go again? Or I hope next year. I, I hope borders will start opening up and it will be less restrictive next year. Yeah, so I'm eyeing for next year. Okay. Because I've been back home for too long, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the borders are not open there right now? I think Europe is starting to open. Well, Europe open. is, yeah. Yeah, for vaccinated travelers. Yeah, but what about you? What about Singapore? No? Well, Singapore is really small. I can only travel within my own country as of now. Okay. Even Malaysia... It is, uh, the border has been closed for the longest time ever. It's been more than a year. Wow. Yeah, and it's really weird feeling because I used to travel to Malaysia almost every weekend. So Malaysia is like an extension of my home, of Singapore. And not being able to go there for more than one, one and a half years. Yeah, that's hard. Uh, and you have friends there? Uh, yes, I have friends there. But as of now, I just have to settle with uh, traveling in Singapore and explore places that you know, I've never been before. Mm-hmm. yeah that's good yeah micro adventures yeah you know? 
Exactly. Yeah. I like that. So how did you get past the fear of what you were about to do before you set off on your trip? I would say that fear... Okay, what is the worst that can happen to all of us? Death. (laughs) Death. And eventually, we are all going to die. This is something that is inevitable. And my friend's passing really made me realize how life can be so uncertain. And we are all going to die one day. So it is what we're going to do between that really make life exciting or worth living. And I think I've stopped clinging myself or attaching myself to the idea of certainty and just really be present. So I really want to live in a moment. So when I left my trip, I didn't want to wait until I have lots of money or until I'm retired. So I take the active action of saving up as much as I can and gave myself a deadline. And I left my job to make time. So that was what I did. I want to make it happen. So I have to take the actions to do it instead of waiting until I know there's the stars are aligned. And then getting past the fear of uncertainty. Yeah, I think just to always remind myself what's that can happen. Yeah. And so am I just going to hold myself back just because of uh, death, which is going to happen to us eventually anyway? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I think fear can be very debilitating. It, it can hold people back, back from doing a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, if only fear is not holding us back. We can achieve a lot. But I also recognize that fear is also a protective mechanism. Mm, it's to protect us. Also, one quote that I'd like to share to anybody who wants to travel is, before setting out on a journey, do not seek advice from those who never left home. I've shared this many times. And I find it very relevant to not just traveling, but also many other things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Let's say if you want to ride a bicycle, would you ask someone who has never cycled before or would you want to ask approach someone who has cycled before for advice? Those who have never done it, they can only give advice that come from a place of fear. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Even before leaving, those people who have told me not to go, they're the ones who have never done it. You want to get your advice that comes from a place from, of experience. Yes, I like and, that. Yep, the people yeah. who have encouraged me to go, we should go. They're the ones who have done the, such a trip. Yeah, so get your advice from that comes from a place of experience and not fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what did you say to the people that told you not to go? I would say that <laughs> you didn't go or you have your own reasons, you have your priorities, but I'm me, I'm different. You can't do it doesn't mean I can't do it. Let's respect each other's decision and try not to impose limitations on one another. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I would say that more often than not, it comes from a place of concern. Yeah. Right. But sometimes it also can come from a place of uh, not knowing what's out there because the fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, always get advice from those who have done it. And I've noticed sometimes it comes from a place of their own regret. And so it's almost like a jealousy. I didn't get to do this. So why do you get to do this? Yeah, it can be that too. Yeah. But on the other hand, also, there are those who were encouraging because they wanted to do something like that, but didn't have the chance. And they were very encouraging. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know what? You're living my dreams. But because I have responsibilities, I'm tied down. I can't just live just like that. So to me, traveling also can be a privilege because I do not have this burden. So. Yeah. That's why I like to share my stories uh, to people so that they can live a travel vicariously through my sharing online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. 
So did you run out of money in the Czech Republic or did your savings end or did you decide this is the end of my trip? What made me decide to come back was actually because of my mom. Yeah, actually, although, you know, she's like, I think she's an incredible woman. I've never been a mom, but I know that she worries for me a lot and I feel very bad for putting her through that. I felt guilty about that. Because I think one day my sister messaged me and she said, I was talking to mom about you today and halfway through the conversation, she broke. Mm. I think she misses you a lot and I think maybe you should come back. Uh, and my sister shared her plans to travel to Europe that summer. She said, okay, I'm traveling to Croatia this summer. I can bring mom along and maybe you can come back with her. And I say, okay, I think two years is uh, long enough. She really loved me enough to let me go. But I think also I should make up to her graciousness by coming back home just right. for her. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's when I decided to plan my trip to come back. <laughs> so that I met them in Czech. And then I traveled with my sister and my mom. And then I came back with my mom to Singapore. Yeah. And was she happy? Of course she was happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she knows you're going to leave again and she's okay with that. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I, when I came back, she said, are you going to leave again? I said, yes, I'm going to leave again. Can you don't do it? Only until after... I die, then you leave. I was like, no, I don't think I would do that. But, you know, I have plans to bring her along with me at some point, but maybe not through the entire trip. But maybe travel on a camper van so that it's more comfortable for her and show her how it is like on the road. It is not all bad guys everywhere in a foreign country. Actually, most people are, are very nice and good. So she shouldn't have to worry so much. But of course, I know it's easy to say. But I wish she had she. I, I wish she had uh, gone through what I gone through to be able to understand how the world exactly is like. Because she herself, she has never really traveled that much. Mm. So there's always this fear of the unknown, which I realize that is actually not the reality on the ground. Well, I think that's great. That's a good plan to travel with her then mm-hmm. and show her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you're lucky. And if you waited for her to die, she might live to be 100. And yeah, <laughs> life expectancy is getting longer here. <laughs> yeah. And my grandfather, went back when life expectancy wasn't, lived to be 99. And I'm 55 and my mother is in her mid-80s and she's not going anywhere anytime soon. Oh, yeah, maybe bring her along. No, unfortunately, I have basically the opposite kind of family that you do. And she's, yeah, she's too old to travel. But she she says that. But she has traveled a lot in her life. Mm-hmm. So huge, huge traveler, loves to travel. So what if you could tell your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? I would say that be brave to take risks. You do not have to be doing what everybody else is doing. And yeah. To find your own path and just try. Because if you never try, you never know. That yeah. is true. I wish I could have done this younger when I was much younger. But at least late than never. But you're still really young. I don't know how old you are, but you look super young. <laughs> 34 this year. <laughs> oh, nice. That's still young. Yeah, I left for my trip when I was 27. Yeah, that's young. When I was traveling, I, I seen people who are much younger than me doing such trips, 17, 18. I was like, wow, I wish that I I was like that when I was your age. Yeah, but it's hard. We can't really compare. Yep, yep, definitely. 
I'll probably be 60 when I'm doing it and wish that I had been younger, but I wasn't. I've traveled a lot, but not for years at a time. I think we, we all have our different ways of, of traveling. It doesn't have to be like this or like that. We, we, we always think that we need like a certain checklist to fulfill a certain bucket list. But the thing is our checklist may be different because of our circumstances. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So where can people find you? Well, everybody can find me on my social media on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah, the Wandering Wasp. Okay, and I'll put links. And then, so you're doing YouTube videos. Are you blogging? Yeah, sometimes I share more of like photo essays. Mm. So I share the photos and then I'll write the stories behind the photos. On Instagram? Instagram and Facebook. Okay, and how's Mm. that going? Yeah, it was good. There's, There's very good reception. Right now, I'm trying to make videos because I have a lot of videos that are not put to use. When I was traveling, I was sharing more photos. But I thought so videos can tell the story very differently to be able to hear and see the movement. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's totally a different format. Did you shoot on your phone? I have a a compact camera and a helmet camera. And sometimes I shoot them on my phone as well. But when I come back to Singapore, it was then that I have a time to really edit them because editing video can be very time consuming and you need internet to upload them. And sometimes when you're traveling on the road, you're just worrying about you have to settle your accommodations almost every single day. It depends. So if you are traveling constantly, then you have to do that. There was very little time to, to actually edit and organize all those footages. But so now coming back to Singapore, I have more time. I have internet. I have my laptop and equipments that can help me do the job. Yeah, I'm trying to retell my stories in videos. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's exciting. Now, did you, so you didn't bring a laptop with you? I did. This laptop, I am um, doing the Zoom with you right now. Yeah, yeah, it's the laptop that has been with me for two years on the road. The same oh, one. Nice. <laughs> wow. And did you use it a lot or no? Yeah, I use it normally to upload my photos, to manage all my data, mm-hmm. and also to write stories. Mm. But video editing while traveling, I, I didn't really do it. But I guess for those uh, vloggers, if you want to do it full-time, you have to set aside time for that while you're on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It takes a long time. Just even editing this podcast takes me like several hours a day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've edited a lot of video in my time. So yes, mm-hmm. it's very much more time consuming. Yeah. So I'm, I was, I'm glad that one of my video actually went viral. Oh, nice. I, Congratulations. Yeah. And it was selected for uh, Adventure Travel Film Festival last oh, year. Oh, cool. And which it one was, was it? One mini video. Oh, wow. So it is a very brief run through of my journey from the beginning until I got to Europe. Wow. And like super fast motion. Yeah. <laughs> and a few of ooh and ah moments. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Wow. That's exciting. So then that kind of puts you on the map. Yeah. Yeah. Did that get you the thousand subscribers that you would need for monetization? Oh, okay. I have not monetized my YouTube channel because I was more active on Facebook. Mm. My Facebook has around 77,000 followers. Wow. That's a lot. But for YouTube, 1.7. So I, I wasn't doing a lot of videos. So I was sh- more of like sharing photos. There were more tractions on Facebook mm. than on YouTube. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank okay. you. Have a good day. Have a good night. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love it if you would do 
any one of all the things that you know we all ask for all the time after a podcast. I'm not going to go into every single one of them, but leaving a review helps the algorithm, sharing it with a friend, all that, all that stuff, sharing it on social media, whatever, any, none, whatever you see fit. I am going to be changing the format soon. I've got one more interview in the can for next week, and it's a really, really great interview. And then I am interviewing one other person, hopefully soon, that I'm really excited about. And then I'm going to move on to season two. And season two is going to be a little bit about my updates and then a little bit about van life questions that I get pretty regularly. So each episode will contain a van life question answer. And we'll see how long that goes for because it might go for one, two, three, four, five episodes. It might go for a hundred episodes. I don't know. It depends on you, quite frankly. (laughs) It depends on you. So right now, yeah, I, I won't go into the, I would love more listeners, but I would love more listeners. So thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the show. I really enjoy making the show and I would like to continue making the show. I love any feedback. If anyone has any feedback, please don't hesitate to tell me because I'm all ears. And if there's anything else you want to hear or any questions you might have specifically about van life, please do let me know. You can reach me on my Instagram, which is my unknown adventure. And you can DM me there is the best way to find me. Otherwise, you can send me an email. My email is myunknownadventure at gmail.com. And I hope you guys have a terrific day. I really appreciate you. I appreciate everyone who's listening. And it means a lot to me. It really, really, really does. So thank you. Thank you. And have a terrific day or night wherever you are. Bye.